R-N-N. Well, we are opposed around the world by a monolithic and ruthless conspiracy that relies primarily on covet means. Connecting the Dots with Dan Happel. Tonight's featured show is Connecting the Dots with Dan Happel. Welcome to the Republic News Network for our live national broadcast. You may call me Kelby, and tonight I'm going to be acting as your moderator. The RNN, which stands for the Republic News Network, has been doing this radio show since 2010, and it's always been a friendly introduction for the people of the United States Corporation. Here we go. It's true. The United States is a federal corporation, and their exclusive jurisdiction is in the District of Columbia. The Republic government was simply a bunch of U.S. citizens that, in law, don't have access to the Bill of Rights. And they realized they wanted to be Americans, as our founders and our law provided each and every one of us. See, we've been hard at work since 2008, and since 2010, we have successfully re-inhabited the original government vacated under Lincoln in 1861. I know, it's hard to understand. Don't worry. We are law-abiding, peaceful Americans and very pro-government, and we love our country. You can consider the Republic members are tired of the corruption that we see every day. See, we found in the law that there is two forms of government here on the land, and we did something about it. We are people. Mothers, fathers, sons, daughters, we have families just like you, we simply found some truths, and now we're sharing these important truths with the rest of the world. So get ready to hear things that sound amazing, and get ready to understand that you too are about to be a part of history. We welcome each one of you to Connecting the Dots with Dan Happel and your republic if you so choose. But before we go into our broadcast tonight, please bow your head in prayer. Father God, we want to thank you for this opportunity to just pray and pray for this nation, Lord. We we solely submit this nation to you because we need to, and we uh, are very much looking forward to the current administration doing their job, and we thank you for uh, not having the alternative. So, Lord, bless the call, bless Dan Happel and the guests, and we pray this in your son's name. Amen. Mr. Happel, I yield the floor. Well, thank you, Kelby. And tonight we have Jim White and Cliff Gardner. Uh, they're going to be back for a repeat performance we'll be uh, talking about something we were talking about almost two years ago uh, on this very network and uh, at that time we were talking about uh, how the West is being uh, assaulted there's a, a wholesale attempt to take ranching and farming and animal husbandry off the land and turn the Western United States back into uh, well, what they call pre-Columbian wilderness, but uh, rewilding of the West. And this has been a program that's been conducted by radical environmental groups, uh, people like Earth First, uh, now some of the more mainstream groups, if you could call them that, uh, like uh, uh, Defenders of Wildlife and uh, the Natural Resource Defense Council and some of these other groups are throwing literally billions of dollars into the process of rewilding the Western United States and eliminating uh, private land ownership and agriculture in the West. And the ranching uh, communities have been hit hardest of all because the ranching communities represent the most independent thinkers of all the Western settlers. And uh, frankly, they don't uh, fit the New World Order. So uh, with that, Jim, I'd like to introduce you first and uh, have you tell our listeners a little bit about your background and about Northwest Liberty News and some of the uh, projects that you're working on there 
we won't get into your new film project until we get a little further into the discussion, but uh, tell tell our listeners a little bit more about uh, you and the projects you're working on. Well, first of all, Dan, thanks so much for having me on the program. I really appreciate it. Um, I'd be happy to do so. A couple of years back, I, I actually they just uh, crossed over the five-year anniversary of starting uh, Northwest Liberty News. I, um, you know, I, I felt there was a need to uh, to wake people up and, uh, in a sense, and try to um, put you know, truth out as much as I could because we're living in a world of fake news as we found out some years, uh, you know, going forward. So I, um, I actually just started, I picked up a camera and, um, I, you know, I was fortunate enough to be able to buy a really nice equipment up front, uh, which I'm so thankful uh, that I did because uh, it really helped, you know, certainly helped the quality of, of the, the videos that I had produced. And I just started going to, uh, to events and recording um, you know, this is uh, this area that I live in here in the Flathead Valley, as you know, Dan, is uh, at, at one point it was uh, sort of the hub or one of the hubs of, uh, I guess you'd want to call it the Liberty Movement, Freedom Movement, whatever you want to call it. And there was a lot of events around here and a lot of people came through, uh, not as much as it used to be. But back then when they did, I, uh, I was there with my camera usually uh, recording the event. And uh, of course, I just utilized, uh, you know, the free media available, uh, YouTube and, and uh, other platforms, which of course are taken away from conservatives now on a regular basis. Um, so I just, uh, I, I started doing videos and I got approached by the Oath Keepers uh, and asked if I would go down to, it was right around the same time that the event was happening down at the uh, the Bundy Ranch. I was asked to go down there uh, with uh, with Jason. Actually, I picked up Jason, the first time I'd ever met Jason, who I who, who you know, Dan, Jason Van Tatenhove, who I uh, went on to subsequently broadcast with, I think, for over a year on the Liberty Brothers, and uh, he went on, on the Oath Keepers and became the national, um, he became the national, I think, uh, media consultant or media person for the Oath Keepers. At any rate, we went down to the Bundy Ranch and uh, spent a lot of time down there and really were right in, you know, involved in the action. Uh, we were just involved doing camera stuff. We, you know, Jason was doing the radio, responding on the radio, and I was making the videos, and uh, it just picked up from there, and, you know, I actually became friends with um, uh, Michelle... Um, I uh, can't remember her name now, Cliff, uh, you know her, um, Michelle Fiore, down in Las Vegas, who is a really liberty-minded, uh, a liberty-minded, uh, um, she's like a council person down there. So I called her and asked her, I said, you know, I really want to do something with, uh, you know, the, I, I really want to do something with, I don't want this to go away, the rancher situation down at the Bundy Ranch. Uh, you know, what can I do? I really need, I feel like I need to be able to, to get this going. So she hooked me up with Cliff and, um, we can certainly go into that as we get into the documentary, but uh, we traveled across uh, Nevada together, Cliff and I, uh, visiting ranchers, but uh, that's probably enough for now. We can go into that later. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, um, that, that's a good lead-in, and uh, incidentally, Jim, I think you and I met uh, probably when you were toward the beginning of your uh, filming career. You came to one of my events and. uh Film my sustainable destruction exposing UN Agenda 21 in rural America. Uh, and um, as of a few days ago, we had almost 70,000 views on that. So uh, you, you obviously did a good job. So <laughs> Well, thanks, Dan. Uh, you know, it's funny you mentioned that because I told my wife, we still get about 400, I still get about four or 500 views, I believe, every week on that video, if you can believe that. And it's been like four years, it's like four years old. And uh, yeah. that, that's just a testament, I think, of the information, Dan, not the video quality. I think the information in there was just stellar. Well, I, yeah, it is. Um, and, and the truth is the truth. And the, and the fact is, is if we uh, bring it before the American people, we expect them to do something with it. And it appears that they are starting to do that. And I'm really pleased with that. So, uh, Cliff, you... Uh, we're on this program, and it's been almost two years ago when you were on the last time, but you were telling us about a project that you had called uh, um, Rural Heritage Preservation Project. You were uh, basically putting together documentation on all of the different acts and laws and and uh, programs and things that have happened uh, in the West, and uh, I, I want you to tell our listeners a little about your background and, and then maybe a little about that project. Okay, thanks, Dan. Uh, 
I've been around quite a while. I'm a fourth-generation rancher living in northeastern Nevada. And typical of nearly all ranchers in our state, in our region, uh, we were dependent, our ranching operation was dependent on the Forest Service, on the Bureau of Land Management, as well as on one of the refuges that was created here in the West in the 1930s, the Ruby Lake National Wildlife Refuge. So early on, as a young man, I took the responsibility of, of uh, the cattle and dealing with persons that were managing and involved in uh, managing these various agencies. And so I think probably dating back to the 1960s is when I first started seeing attitudes change in these people, particularly the younger people that were being graduated from college back at that time, and their attitude that uh, all man-affected activities was bad and the fact that they thought they were going to have to remove livestock from the refuge lands. And what I was seeing and hearing did not correlate with what I had seen and experienced on the ground. So it was even back at that time I began challenging these people and asking them for copies of the studies, the science that supported what they were advocating. And later, uh, dating up until the end of the 1980s when the Forest Service became more aggressive and they too wanting to remove all livestock from the public lands, then other people that I was communicating with across the West who became lifelong friends, some of those being Wayne Hage and then later the Bundys and, and other families that were adversely affected and were greatly involved in our side of the fight, uh, they realized and, and respected some of the work I was putting together with my research, and they encouraged me more. And today, I probably have possibly the largest library regarding Western public land settlement, all of the legal uh, court cases and conflicts that have come down over the years as well as the scientific studies, thousands, hundreds anyway, of scientific studies dealing with everything that has to do with public lands management, public lands use by mining, ranching, recreation, etc. And so uh, that has been my contribution. And you mentioned uh, Real Heritage Preservation Project that was the product of those efforts, was to try to categorize that and make it available to the public and uh, help those like yourself and Jim uh, that are trying to stand up for America and our original values and, and uh, support you with whatever science or facts or historical mm -hmm. evidence that I might have in such a way so that you and others could be successful. Mm -hmm. Well, you've um, you, you've provided a valuable resource, and um, I know at the last uh, last conversation we had, uh, one of the things that uh, we want to make sure is that those resources are scattered around, and I'm, I'm by scattered around, I mean. Uh, enough copies of everything that you've uh, been able to uh, research that no matter what happens, if we have an inconvenient fire, uh, we know how the government is. And uh, quite frankly, you know, your information is not, uh, let's say, productive for the government position. Your research has done the exact opposite of uh, proving that ranchers are not good for the land, your research, and I think most uh, legitimate research, shows that 
ranchers are great conservationists and that grazing on public lands actually improves the uh, grazing for wildlife and everything else. It improves that resource. And uh, so whatever you do, make sure you've got enough copies of, of everything that you've got that uh, it can't be destroyed with one uh, very uh, convenient fire or something like that. So, um, Jim, you mentioned uh, starting the conversation before we actually went on the air that you saw something in the Wall Street Journal today about uh, the the uh, H family uh, ranch. Can you tell our listeners what uh, what you ran into? Yeah, sure, I can. Uh, it, the story actually, it just appeared, it just popped up on Twitter today, but it looks like the story is from March 30th, so it's only a couple of days old. And it's about uh, the actual title of it on the Wall Street Journal, if anybody wants to look it up. Uh, the actual title is, In the Battle for the American West, the Cowboys are Losing. And the, sub, the subheading is, Federal lands west of the Rockies are now also home to more hikers and campers, and the competition is fierce. Now, I submit to you that it's not the hikers and the campers. I submit to you, and, and, and Cliff can certainly, um, and Dan, you know this as well. You've seen the maps. Sure. From what sure. I understand, there's about $53 trillion with the T, $53 trillion worth of resources out west. So I submit to you it's not the backpackers and the hikers. It's the people that want to get their hands on that loot. Um, okay. Any thoughts on that, Cliff? Yes, I see things just a little bit different in that my concept or perception is that that the culture of America has changed since the early founding, and we have so many working within agencies today that philosophies among those that are employed by these various agencies want to bring everything back to a natural state. My biggest conflict with them in particular is that, and my research has led me into the time when the western lands were first being settled, when homesteaders were coming out and taking up water and lands. Miners were making claims on minerals. Um, there were no all my research shows that there were almost no wildlife of any great extent, particularly in the Great Basin. There were no wolves, mm -hmm. particularly because there was no game to support wolves. There were no mountain lions in the Great Basin because there wasn't anything to sustain them. So after settlers came in order to protect their crops and their wildlife, I mean their livestock, and their uh, poultry and so forth, they began practicing predator control in one manner or another. And, of course, just a little later, then a lot of big sheep outfits uh, came into being, and they conducted effective predator control. And that's when a balance was created between predators and prey, and prey animals began to explode in number. We had mule deer you read any history in the 1940s and 50s, almost in all the western states, there was an explosion of mule deer in particular, and sage grouse. And uh, that was an all, pro all of the product of the sheep industry, livestock industry, and predator control. But these people that work within the agencies and the people that support them, being the conservation organizations, they do not want that to be uh, understood, well understood, because their livelihoods all depend upon on uh, the American public in general believing otherwise. So that's mm -hmm. where my battle's at, in getting that information out. And it's very yeah. difficult to do because the general population today always wants to, it's just a part of nature that people want to believe that everything was optimum in the pristine state, which was not true. 
sage grouse in particularly, were a product. In fact, during the first 20 years of all the exploration in the western United States, Jedediah Smith, Peter Skeen Ogden, John Work, the the earliest uh, families that come across in the caravans to California, never first 20 years, there were no sage grouse seen. It was after the areas had been impacted by livestock being transported and moved across the Great Basin to California, and after settlement began to occur, that's when we had the explosion of sage grouse. Mm-hmm. And so uh, that's some of the message that I got to try to get across. And, and Cliff, your uh, your comments are right on the money. If you look at the highest sage-grouse populations we had, and we'll pick that one particular item, uh, the highest sage-grouse populations we had ever were between the 1940s and uh, the late 1960s. And when the sage-grouse population started to drop was when we signed on to the uh, UN uh, protection of uh, eagles and, and uh, uh, so-called predatory birds, uh, which include ravens and magpies and a whole bunch of nest robbers. And right. uh, that's that's when, and the coyotes and all the other, that's when the sage-grouse numbers started to drop. But it was actually, Absolutely. yeah, it was the ravens, and, and they've done studies on this. I've seen the scientific studies they've done on this, that uh, ravens and uh, skunks and magpies are the uh, primary predators of sage-grouse, not humans. That's right. Every study I've seen shows that those declines begin in earnest, declines in sage-grouse begin in earnest, soon after President Nixon outlawed the use of toxins in 1972. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, have continued, and again, all of those studies show that right now, almost uniformly, we're losing 80 to 85 percent of the chicks, even before they hatch, in egg form. Ravens being the most uh, proficient predator out there that destroys sage grouse nests, but mm-hmm. then. You lose so many after hatched as well, so that's why we're realizing the decline in sage grouse. But these agency people and their support groups do not want the public to understand this because, as an example, the agencies that I've mentioned repeatedly during our conversation this evening have almost doubled their income because of the application of the Endangered Species Act. No, they mm-hmm. haven't listed sage-grouse yet, but they don't have to. Don't because have to. now with the threat <laughs> of listing, the agencies are getting everything done they want to anyway. They're getting exactly. all the funding they could possibly want. And now, so on and on it goes. You're, you're exactly right. And I was on a BLM rack uh, for some years, and... We were supposed to be looking at uh, the sage-grouse problem in Montana. And I kept saying to the uh, the agency and to the people, the other people on the rack, look, uh, I can show you the scientific proof that uh, human impact on sage-grouse is absolutely minimal, that almost all the impact is caused by predators and by uh, you know, birds and, and rodents that are nest robbers. And uh, the comment that came back from the BLM was, uh, we're not tasked to look at that. We are tasked to look at what man's impact on sage grouse is. So in other words, they, they were just ignoring the science and they were only going to look at the aspect they wanted to look at, which is man. So anyway, um, I, I don't I didn't mean to get off on a, a, a tangent. There. No, no, that's very important. That's, it it is because I was right there and I saw it happen. And I uh, there were other people that were on that PLM rack that uh, saw that happen as well. Um, Cliff and Jim, can you talk to our listeners about 
all these federal policies that came in with the EPA, with the uh, the Endangered Species Act, with FLIPMA, with all these different uh, policies that came in in the 1970s and how that changed the role of uh, these federal agencies from being uh, protectors of uh, pri of uh, public lands and uh, tr uh, treating them as a resource to be used by the citizens and turning that into an environmental, uh, strictly environmental perspective. Well, you know, I can I know Cliff can uh, <clears throat> excuse me, Cliff can speak about the uh, he I mean he he's a walking encyclopedia the guy he's my researcher actually for this documentary we're working on and uh, I couldn't have picked a better one. Now, I, Dan, I can speak about the. I can speak about the. Uh, you hit into the nail on the head. Is the it seems to be the radical environmentalism, um, really is is I think one of the driving forces behind that, and that is something that you're very very familiar with. You know, it all works hand in glove, Dan. The Agenda 2030 uh, used to be formally called Agenda 21. I think they changed it to Agenda 20. 2030, uh, and I know uh, uh, Debbie Bakajalupi does a lot of great work on that. She's an excellent resource. I know a friend of both of ours. Um, mm -hmm. But you know, th this Dan is is really, I believe, what you're seeing now is the things that happen with the Bundys, the things that happen with the Hammonds. Who uh, I know Cliff knows all of these people very well, and uh, thankfully uh, the Bundys, the Bundy family got released. Uh, there's others that had to plead out that are still there. Um, but what we're seeing here with this land grab is uh, really, I think, the fruits of all the labors, labor of the environmental, the rabid environmentalist, Dan, that go way back, um, <clears throat> used to be uh, really brushed off as tree huggers. Well, geez, those tree huggers now are pretty much, they pretty much run things. And, and I hate to say mm -hmm. that, but when it comes to the environmental environment, they run things. So mm -hmm. uh, I, I know that part, but I know Cliff is certainly much more versed in the, you know, technically speaking, the acts um, and things that were, uh, you know, were put into place uh, to harm the average landowner, I would say. Mm -hmm. Okay. Well, uh, Cliff, um, I, I would pass that ball then along to you, and um, you, you really understand how the changes in all these federal agencies have uh, kind of transformed them into something totally different than what was originally intended. And those changes started to come in a big way in the uh, early to mid-1970s. Do you want to talk about some of those different uh, acts and things that caused that to happen? Yes. Uh, I was a conservative as a young man and was one of the persons that voted for Richard Nixon when he ran for office. But uh, <clears throat> the thing I've learned over the years was that Mr. Nixon evidently was rabid in, in uh, his desire to become president and was to, ready to do about anything. He made a lot of promises. So once he got into office, he, he is responsible during his administration for many of the acts that you mentioned, the Endangered Species Act, the uh, FLIPMA, which was an uh, act that affected both the BLM and Forest Service management of the lands. Really, it was that particular act that brought about the first Sagebrush Rebellion that started right here in the state of Nevada by a small group of miners. But many of those acts were uh, passed right there in that period, the early 1970s, and most of them passed, passed during the Nixon administration. And it was... Uh, a combination of those people that you and Jim are talking about that brought those about. They knew what they wanted to accomplish. They worked with the agencies. They worked with the uh, conservation organization people, and they got it all done. And they have, there hasn't been a lot added to it since then, except uh, another enemy has been our courts. Unfortunately, many people that become lawyers and then later on are appointed court uh, justices in our district court positions across the United States have spent their entire lives 
in a uh, uh, abstract environment, you might say, with very little on-hand experience, and they went to the same schools as many of the other people that I mentioned and came out of those schools believing absolutely in a more socialistic approach and believing that uh, private enterprise is detrimental to wildlife instead of beneficial. And so they played a big part as well. The judges across the nation have played a big part as well, bringing about all of this adverse action that's causing all of our wildlife numbers to decline dramatically and a huge part of people in mining. The small mining price sector is essentially gone. They've been gone for quite a number of mm-hmm. years. And the first ranchers in our region to go were the small family ranchers that couldn't mother up to the government, couldn't put up money, couldn't hire attorneys, and uh, were tried their best to communicate with each other and put up a fight. But they're all gone now. In the state of Nevada, we've lost 50% of our ranching operations, roughly 50% of the cattle. And uh, If I can interject uh, here for a second, Cliff. You know, if you look at that map, Dan, you've seen it, and you've seen it, Cliff, I'm sure. I mean, it's, it's, it's undeniable that everything west of the Mississippi, I think you've seen the map that has the land owned by the feds in red, Mm-hmm. I mean, there's something going on out west here, because if you look <clears throat> in out east, some of these places have under 10%, under, under 5% of their property is owned by the feds. And out west out here, in the, I think in Nevada alone, Cliff, I think it's up to 93%. Cliff can verify that. But I want to say it was, it's, up to, it's up to the 90s, around the 90%, pretty close, if not over, mm-hmm. of mm-hmm. the land in Nevada that's controlled by the feds. So, Dan, I don't know, you know, like I said before, the only thing I can think of, and I understand, sure, we talked about the environmentalists. I think they're just the hammer, basically. I oh, think they they're the hammer. Right. They're the hammer. And I, I really have to go back to, I mean, you know, uh, doesn't the Bible say that the, the, the love of money is the root of all evil? So I think it's the $53 trillion that's under the ground out here is a huge motivation. I don't think, I just don't think they want to be mean to ranchers. I think that they have a long-term plan to own all of the resources out west. Oh, I think you're right. And um, something that I was going to bring into the discussion is the, uh, first of all, Agenda 21, which was uh, uh, the official document was produced in 1992 into 93, uh, which outlined their program uh, to rewild much of the world. And uh, the President's Council on Sustainable Development under Bill Clinton uh, in 94 put all these programs uh, in play in a big way under the administrative branch of government. And that's how it got into all these various uh, administrative agencies. And uh, since then, it's just been on hyperdrive. And uh, Cliff, you're your comments, and I've seen the studies on this, uh, I've seen rangeland and soil studies that say that managed intense grazing is the best thing in the world for the environment, and it improves forage for all species. Um, Stephen Rich has written a number of articles about that, and uh, there's photographic evidence that no grazing is a whole lot worse for the environment than intensive grazing that's well-managed, well-timed. Yes, absolutely. Yes, the refuge system lands across the United States today have become dead, decadent landscapes. The wildlife are leaving at every opportunity for what private lands they are left, simply because... uh, under these conditions, rodents don't, do not do well. And uh, in vertebrate production, insects do not do well. And so when they're not there, then the wildlife, the bird life, and the uh, smaller predators like coyotes and bobcats do not mm-hmm. do well. And so populations decrease on those protected areas, 
and but they continue to do well in private areas where livestock are impacting that vegetation. That vegetation right. is made healthier and more productive when it's impacted periodically. And that's oh, what absolutely. all the studies are showing. So it's keeping the agencies pretty busy in suppressing that kind of information. It's only because they have uh, access to large amounts of money and time that they're able to uh, keep the public snowed in that regard. Mm -hmm. uh, if we had the resources that the agency people do, we would have won this fight a long time ago. Because in truth, when you stop and think about it, the attacks that are coming from all the groups that each of us are speaking of is an attack on our system of government. Our mm -hmm. system of government is based upon private enterprise and having those resources in the hands of individuals. That's the best kind of stewardship. Mm -hmm. If the other systems would work, why did uh, Russia fail? Why do most socialistic nations fail? Because centralized planning or governmental planning and management simply does not work. This is the message that I try to give it out. But uh, very, very mm -hmm. difficult fight. Well, and, and you're absolutely right. The cornerstone of the American system of government is private property. That's and, right. Um, and uh, the, the other cornerstone of, um, of uh, United States system of constitutional republican government is the rights of the individual over the rights of the collective. And that's exactly the opposite of what we are seeing out of all these federal agencies. They're promoting collectivism. And uh, Cliff, you know, you're ta we're talking about the uh, the forage value of uh, grazing. Um, one of the things they found with all these studies is that periodic, very intense grazing is really good because it keeps the really woody, nasty uh, grass species down, and it promotes the growth of the really tender, nice uh, forage-type grasses because they get grazed once in a while and they don't turn into these you know these woody uh different uh, species that aren't any good for grazing yes absolutely yeah that's that's what i have learned over my lifetime it's it's not hard to understand if you think about plant life it's dependent on three things it needs the soil but it also needs sunlight and water Photosynthesis cannot uh, occur without sunlight. Think about going out in your yard or any place where there's grasses that grow and put an object, say a foot by a foot, on top of the ground. You go out there a few days later and the grass is starting to turn yellow. You go out there a week later and it's all dying. Well, that's mm -hmm. what's happening on our refuge system lands. Is <clears throat> When they take livestock off, the more coarse grasses grow up and they become thick and heavy and they shade out all the understory. Right. So immediately you start, within a year or two, immediately you start losing diversity. All of the forbs, all the fighter stem grasses, all the dandelion, which is important to uh, sage grouse, begin to die out. As an example, on the Sheldon National Wildlife Refuge, it was first uh, first designated, first parts of it were designated in 1936. Uh, in the 1940s and 50s, we had lots of sage-grouse on that 574,000-acre reserve. Lots of sage-grouse, lots of antelope. And uh, then they started systematically removing those livestock and immediately they started, well, anyway, a study was done by a girl named Carol Evans getting her treatise for a master's degree there in the 1980s. And she was recording the fact that there was lots of dandelion, lots of yarrow, the two species the most, uh, of the sage-grouse the most dependent upon. 
Well, mm-hmm. I'd made several trips up there to the Sheldon National Wildlife Refuge in these last uh, five or six years. And I think in all of my travels and all of my visits up there, I've seen three dandelion plants and very little yarrow. And so they just, they actually, by their management, destroyed the plant community that sage grouse were dependent upon. And this is generally what's happening because, as I was alluding to earlier, like in the state of Nevada now, we're running 50% of the cattle we used to, and numbers of sheep have been decreased by roughly 94 to 97%. So and so, there's many areas that are not grazed at all any longer, and it's all of those areas that the wildlife are being forced off of, and scurrying around trying to find good habitat. Plus the pressure, like you mentioned, of uh, increased numbers of crows. I think of the state of Nevada, uh, crows outnumber sage grouse now, eleven to one, and these. Ravens and crows are patrolling the areas constantly with sharp eyes. And if there's one egg out there, they get it. And if they don't get it, then a badger or a bobcat or a coyote gets it. Mm-hmm. And it's a wonder we haven't lost even more than we already have. But fortunately, we do have a lot of some of the most productive land in private land ownership. And that is the only reason that we even have a semblance of sage grouse and many other species right now is because of that private land ownership. Otherwise, it would go completely back to as it was when the first explorers entered to the West, where they would go for days and never see any of these species. In Nevada, deer were unknown in the 1800s. They didn't explode in number until about 1930s or late 20s or early 30s. Mm-hmm. Sage grouse, they came about earlier than that, but they were also a product of mankind, our enterprise, the sheep industry, and predator control. Right, right. Well, so we just that... need to find a way, and I'm really pleased to get hooked up with and become acquainted with Jim because Jim, is, in my view, is probably doing more than anyone else and uh, getting this kind of a story out. I agree. And and that's a good lead-in, Jim, uh, to talk about your latest project. And uh, that is a film that you're working on right now called Land Grab, The Conspiracy to Own (laughs) All of the Natural Resources in the West. Uh, tell, Tell our listeners about that project. What inspired you to do that? Obviously, we we know, but uh, give, give us a little bit more flesh on that. And then uh, talk a little bit about, I know you're doing a, a crowdfunding uh, project on this to, to get the uh, financial resources to get this film off the ground. Sure, Dan, be happy to. Thanks so much. <clears throat> yeah, as we talked about before, you know, I went down there uh, where I stopped off is uh, Michelle Fiore, who's a friend of mine who gave me a close number. Uh, I called Cliff. We got to talking, and um, you know, I, I I really didn't really understand the magnitude of the situation, uh, really until I got down there um, in Nevada and started going around with Cliff. To all, all, I, I came and tell you where we went. We went just hundreds and hundreds of miles, maybe maybe even a thousand, you know, cross, crisscrossing the state, um, going all points around, uh, and meeting. You know, incredible how Cliff knows these ranchers all over the hundreds of miles away from where he lives. Uh, he knows these people very well. And um, we went down there and interviewed, um, I can't even tell you how many, uh, certainly over 10, probably 10 to 15 um, ranchers and their families there. Some of the stuff I have released, uh, a, lot, a lot of it I haven't, that I still held back. Um, and I think what we're going to do, uh, Dan, uh, I just uh, I just actually interviewed um, um, Ryan Bundy and Ammon Bundy here in the last couple of weeks, I've interviewed both of them for Northwest Liberty News, and I spoke to them, and they're both very, very willing to um, to uh, really comment on you know on what's going on, and um, you know I'm really I'm glad that they got let out. Um, you know there was a lot. 
there was a sort of a you never you really didn't know what was going to happen. I have a feeling, Dan, that if um, if if uh, Hillary would have uh, been elected, I don't believe that the Bundy boys or Cliven would have ever seen the light of day again. They would never have seen the outside of their cell again. So I'm, I was uh, I was delighted to, to see them um, get released, and they they got out really at the perfect time because I'm putting all this uh, pulling all this uh, information together. I've got a really good uh, guy, Dan Gill, who's uh, who Cliff knows who went down there and spent some time with Cliff here over the last three or four weeks to help uh, help with the documentary. And uh, Dan Gill's been doing some great work as far as you know editing stuff and helping me with that. So, you know, right now, of course, everybody's doing it because they believe in, you know, they want to get the word out and they believe in the cause. Um, but, you know, as you know, Dan, uh, you know, that type of stuff, you know, it, it takes money to, for gas and for time to go down. And, you know, we really want to interview um, more uh, of the ranchers, um, you know, some of them, thankfully, some uh, one of the uh, ranchers has passed, and uh, another one has had a uh, a terrible medical condition where they couldn't probably even they wouldn't be able to be on this uh, this documentary had I not went down there when they were able to uh, to do the interview. So I'm very thankful that I was able to get that stuff, you know, sort of in the can, if you will. So uh, mm-hmm. what I'm really doing is I'm putting a lot of this stuff together. We're going to do some some new interviews. I have a lot of a lot of stuff already, um, you know, backed up on my hard drive. I have all that the uh, the Bundy video stuff from 2014, and would also like to continue. There's a, some more ranchers that um, certainly I think Wayne. We actually met with Wayne Hage down uh, when I went down uh, the one we talked about with the Wall Street Journal article here. You know, I met him and he didn't uh, at the time. I think he I think he was in a battle with him. He didn't want to. Um, if I remember correctly, you know, and that's the problem, uh, Dan, they intimidate you. They, you know, they, they run you off your land, they'll throw you in jail. So, you know, there's a chilling effect and people don't want to sometimes speak out, um, mm-hmm. which I, you know, which really bothers me, but, uh, we, uh, you know, I'm speaking out, um, and I know Cliff is, and, uh, here's the thing. If we don't speak out against this, Dan, you know, our children, grandchildren, uh, our posterity won't have any land Absolutely. left at all. They're going to put people into compact cities, and uh, you know, there'll be a little wilderness area that you're allowed to, you know, at their discretion and, and their, you know, their management. You'll be able to maybe stroll through a half a mile of, uh, you know, uh, maybe some forestry. But other than that, everything else is going to be off limits to people. So, you know, I think that the time is now. I think with this latest, uh, really, the timing is really good. I think with this latest administration, there's at least a possibility that we can uh, get it in the right hands. And hopefully, Dan, my goal is to be able to tell the stories of all these ranchers that have been just, I mean, just, just heinously disenfranchised and run off their land. Um, so really, that's what I'm doing it for. So I'm putting it all together. And we have a website. I just noticed real quick, I just noticed that the website is so new that my web person hasn't even switched over. It's still in Latin. But, uh, <laughs> I mean, it's really low, just went up. But it's uh, uh, the, the website's landgrabdocumentary.com. If you go to the fundraising button there, there's a donate now, and that takes you right to the GoFundMe page, uh, and that's just new too. We just started trying to get mm-hmm. you know this pulled together so we can continue to keep this going, and we want to get this done. The uh, the anniversary of the Bundy Ranch incident, the five year anniversary, which is coming up here in just about a year, uh, we'd like to have this all done and ready to go. Well, and um, I'd like to remind everybody it doesn't take uh, you know uh, one or two people to donate ten or twenty thousand dollars I mean that's great if it happens but the reality is is if everybody gives five or ten dollars and we have enough people do that uh, you can generate an awful lot of money that way and that is the kind of funding that we need because not only does that uh, accomplish what you need to accomplish. It also shows that there's a huge um, grassroots uh, push to see this kind of information exposed, and uh, that that's as important for a producer like yourself, someone who's working on these projects, to know. I think you'd probably rather have ten thousand uh, five dollar donations than you'd like to have five ten thousand dollar donations uh just because it shows a lot more grassroots support 
Oh, absolutely. I would. You know, this is, that's the whole thing. You know, that's the reason that, you know, all of us here, everybody on this network, this RNN network, Dan, yourself, myself, Cliff, you know, people don't understand there's not really a whole lot of money in this as far as you know not you don't go into this for the money if that's what you're doing it for because you're going to be sadly disappointed you know you have to have a heart for it you know and i have a heart you know especially since i had a chance to look at these these ranchers look them in their eye and and just realize that these are salt of the earth people here these all they wanted to do was just ranch they just wanted to ranch Mm -hmm. and be left alone that's all they wanted they just wanted to ranch and be left alone spend their family some of them are third and fourth generation ranchers I think the Bundys have had their ranch for 140 years, I think, if I remember correctly. So, I mean, they just want to do their thing. And, uh, you know, th- this is the backbone. Really, the ranchers, that, that they're the people that really feed us. I mean, they're the people that mm-hmm. that provide. And I just, they, you know, it almost reminds me of the vets, Dan, how they come back. And after they've done so much for this collectively, done so much for this country, they're treated so poorly. And uh, I yep. think, you know, yep. that, that, that really bothers me. And that's why I think we have to get the word out. I, Something, I Dan, I'd like more. to mention is that uh, I think everybody that is sympathetic to our cause needs to understand that it doesn't take very much money. I've been equated with Jim for some months now, and if there's anybody involved in these sorts of uh, projects that can make a dollar go a long ways, it's Jim. Mm-hmm. He can take a little bit of money and tell a well of a story. One of the stories that I want to see brought forward in the near future, and I've talked to Jim about this, is I don't think the situation for the Hammond family up there in Hardy Basin has been articulated as well as it should be. I became acquainted with Susie Hammond way back in the late 1980s. She and I had a lot in common because I was running on Ruby Lake Livestock on Ruby Lake National Wildlife Refuge, and she and the Hammond family were running livestock on the uh, Malheur National Wildlife Refuge. Uh, at the same time, we were being confronted by the same adverse situations, and we both agreed that the agency people did not have good science to back up what they were advocating, and in fact, the actions were going to be detrimental. So Susie was, at that time, she was the main activist in Hardy County. She was the one that was going out and uncovering the science and raising the awareness of the people, not only there in southern Oregon, but elsewhere. And that was really the root cause of what accumulated more recently when the Hammonds were put into prison. Mm-hmm. It all came about because of retaliation. The agencies didn't like what she was doing. They had to uh, counter that in the best way they could. And so they began taking actions in that community and with regards to the Hammonds ranching operation that culminated in forcing the Hammonds into a situation where they found themselves where they had to take certain actions to protect their property. That's really what the backfire was about. Mm-hmm. And so I, this is very important to me. I want that story told. I want to talk about that abuse by that agency. I want to talk about the retaliation and the persecution. Mm-hmm. And people understand that that is one of the most insidious and cruel things that's ever happened to anybody, any place, a kind of actions that you would think about, you read about in socialistic nations where they persecute their people. Well, this actually happened there in Harney County. And all Ammon Bundy was trying to do up there was trying to go out and help those people. And Let's not uh, forget Lavoie Finnegan. Let's not forget Lavoie Finnegan. And Lavoie Finnegan. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and that story needs to be told more clearly. And fortunately, I was up there and became personally acquainted with Dwight and Susie Hammond back there in the early, late 80s and early 90s. We used to go up and stay at their place, and, and Susie and Dwight would take me around the valley and introduce me to some of the older ranchers that had taken pictures, people that were trying to tell the story of how it was adversely affecting their action of the agencies 
we're adversely affecting wildlife. And uh, so I have, I'm privileged to have copies of those pictures. And I think mm-hmm. uh, if I get a chance to work with Jim, that we could tell a well of a story that will get that truth yeah. out. Yeah. And that's why we need all the support we can get from anybody that cares about the future of this nation. Because if we allow these kinds of lies and this kind of disinformation to continue, which is actually an attack on our very system of government, our constitutional form of government, it's going to eventually destroy America. So every American American should be concerned. And I'm just glad I'd be able to talk a little bit about it and uh, mm-hmm. and ha- and how concerned I am and how important I think these kinds of projects are. Well, and um, Cliff and Jim, both of you have uh, alluded to the fact that uh, some of the ranchers that uh, gave testimony, you, you mentioned this, Jim, are uh, have passed away or are no longer in a position to be able to do that. The the thing that we need to do is we need to realize this is a natural resource. Most of the people that are standing up right now are people with gray hair. And uh, we've got to take advantage while the time is right because young Absolutely. people that are following in our footsteps, a lot of them don't have a clue. And we've got to be able to provide a blueprint, a a uh, uh, accurate history of all these things that have happened so that uh, when the young people finally wake up and they finally realize there there's a serious problem here, we can help them uh, with information that they can understand. Absolutely. One thing that struck me this evening during our conversation, Jim was talking about going across the state of Nevada. We did for several days. We traveled across to the western part of the state, into the central part of the state, and then upon the conclusion of doing that, Jim went down to Las Vegas, and I and others put him in touch with sportsmen down there that are very concerned about uh, all the adverse action of the agencies. But thinking back, even 10 or 15 years ago, if we'd had a guy like Jim around, my gosh, think of all the people we could have interviewed at that time. I was fortunate enough that I did get short two, three, four, up to ten-page affidavits from a lot of these people that are now deceased. But my gosh, if Jim had been around a number of years ago, we could have spent a week mm-hmm. going around and interviewing ranchers and miners and sportsmen and yeah, and uh, prospectors all over the state of Nevada. And uh, those people were persecuted as well and put out of business. Right. And uh, they did their best to fight. But like myself and many others, you know, that wasn't our life ambition, to fight the government. All each of us wanted to do was to enjoy the great outdoors and enjoy our way of life. And mm-hmm. we had to train ourselves. And we had to take away from our lives and our businesses and go out and try to do our best. And it's been basically a lose-lose situation. But we're not going to give up because we're not going to give up on America. And this is what America is about. And, and Cliff, your comment is right on. uh, It's not natural to feel this way about our government because we were raised as kids to believe in our government and to believe that they would do the right thing. And it's only been through experience over the last uh, 20 or 30 years that we've started to realize how far we've gone in the wrong direction. Uh, Jim, I'm going to give you the last couple of minutes here. We're at the end of the program, but I want you to uh, uh, let our listeners know where they can go uh, to support your film and where they can see the trailer on your film. Well, thanks, Dan. Certainly. Um, they can go to landgrabdocumentary.com. That's landgrabdocumentary.com. And as I said, the uh, I have someone that's helping me with that website. It's up very, very new, and it's just linked. Um, the, the trailer, I believe, is on that website. 
If not, you can always go to my sort of my flagship um, YouTube channel, as, as long as they continue to keep it up, uh, Northwest Liberty News on YouTube, and you can see uh, that trailer and a lot of the other uh, videos that I did uh, with some of the ranchers down there. And I just want to say to people out there, you know, as I was stating earlier, you really don't realize how much, uh, you know, how necessary uh, farmers and ranchers are uh, really to this to this nation and to the food production in this nation. And, um, you know, if, if you care about Americana and you care about how things used to be, and, uh, you know, I guess in a sense you have a um, – really a desire to get things back, you know, to like the old West, uh, you really need to support, um, you know, and it doesn't even have to be my film, um, support ranchers, support, mm-hmm. stand up for, stand up for the people that are being persecuted. Um, I mean, if, without going too deep, I mean, we could do a whole other show on the Hammonds, but you know, the Hammonds are spending five years in prison and, um, you know, they really just basically, a a fire jumped over their, as a backfire jumped over their property and burned a small amount of land that was, I think theirs to, to really graze on anyway. I mean, it, it I mean, if you look into that, it, it's just, it's just one terrible, terrible event after another, Dan. And these ranchers are just, mm-hmm. are being, uh, they're being decimated. Hence the, uh, the, uh, this, the article today in the wall street journal, the one that we talked about, they're losing the battle, man, where ranchers mm-hmm. are losing the battle. And if they lose the battle, we all lose the battle. Absolutely. We, if we lose private property in this country, we've lost our country because, uh, in fact, that's the difference between us and a collectivist society. Uh, the difference between us and communism is that we are supposed to have the rights to private property. Um, well, gentlemen, thank you for being our guest tonight, and thank you for uh, doing the program that you're doing, Jim. And I ask our listeners to please go to landgrabdocumentary.com and donate some money for this project. Uh, I know I'm going to, and I think uh, pe- people all over this country need to support this film because this is very important for the future of our country. Um, thank you again, gentlemen. And with that, uh, I'll turn the uh, show back over to you, Kelby, and thank our listeners for listening. Ladies and gentlemen, that concludes this week's show with Connecting the Dots with Dan Happel. God bless. Good night. We'll see you next Thursday, 6 p.m. Pacific. <laughs>